Hello, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon here, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. And with me today, Dr. Charles Goldman. Charles, welcome to the program. Ed, how's it going? Good. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about um, about whether or not you should, wh- why you should use cash, okay? But I got to say a word first about why you should use a roadmap, okay? Now, <laughs> now this is tragic, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. Maybe you heard about it. A, um, a guy in North Carolina uh, drove off a bridge and died. Yeah. It was a collapsed bridge. And uh, he was following, you know, Google Map. And this this bridge has been out of commission for twelve for ten years, and he he went off the cliff and into the water and drowned. And now there's a lawsuit. His family is suing Google for not accurately portraying the reality of this hazard. It's also noted that there were no signs uh, leading up to the bridge saying closed. You know, so I I don't, I'm I don't know. Maybe you should maybe you should have been using a roadmap. <laughs> Um, well, I'm not, how would the roadmap have been any safer? Well, good point. At a bare minimum, there should have been a sign saying, hey, uh, bridge Yeah, closed. I mean, I think that's the issue. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because when GPSs first came out, um, people were very antithetical to their use. I mean, it's really interesting how a technology that they actually, I mean, and, and if you think about it, because if you remember in the days of using a map, mm-hmm. okay, so you're driving, it's nighttime. Yeah. If and you're trying to look at a map. And you're trying to look at the map, which you can't see because... Well, you put your dome light on. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. And then, of course, everybody who's over 50 is already losing their night vision. So, <laughs> And you can't figure out what focal length am I, am I looking out to see what's in front of me or am I trying to read this map? So, so you're saying GPS is an improvement on that in terms oh, of safety. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's kind of, it's analogous to the same thing about self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. You know, that everyone sees them as dangerous. And of course, you know, People driving cars uh, kill more people than self-driving cars ever will. Um, yeah. Even with all the, you know, every time one something happens, it gets... Well, and that technology yeah. is probably going to get better, but still, I, 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 I would have a hard time sitting comfortably and calmly in a driverless car. Except if um, maybe you... How would dr- you feel about a driver? Maybe, okay. how, how about a pilotless airplane? Even worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How about headless horsemen? <laughs> no, no, wait, wait. That's, that's a different story. Anyway. Uh, hey, so um, Cash. Cash. Big fan. Yeah, talk about analog. Uh, big fan of Johnny and, <laughs> and, the, mon- and, and the monetary unit. Um, yeah. But there is now this strong movement to get away from cash altogether. I mean, some fascinating data. 60, 60% of Americans with six-figure household incomes, uh, in 2022, they use no cash. In a t- typical week, no cash. 60%. Mm-hmm. Yet uh, now again, those on the bottom end of the uh, income spectrum, earning twenty-five grand or less, uh, they relied on cash for about a third of their purchases. So there's a huge discrepancy when you come when it comes to who uses cash. And you know, like you pointed out in our conversation before the program, sure, older people tend to use it as well. Mm. But what concerns me is, you know, I mean, options are good. Writing a check, great. A debit card, credit card, great. Barter, great. Cash, great. Why do away with the one of the foundations of the economic, uh, ex- you know, the, the economy? I mean, it just makes no sense to me. But there's serious talk about doing away with it. And what what is the driver to get rid of cash? Well, that's like, a great question because I mean, the cost of producing it. Well, uh, the well, infection a, risk of a dollar bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the one of the yeah, maybe one of the proponents of getting rid of cash claims it is dirty and uh, there's all sorts of you know, bacteria on it and who knows what kind of saliva or the bodily elements are contaminating that $5 bill. You know, I mean, maybe some of that's true. I don't know. But well, there's I, a I, lot yeah. of dirty things out there that you touch in any given day that we're not going to get rid of. Doorknobs. Well, everything everything <laughs> we touch is covered with some sure. organism. Right. You know, that's why we have an immune system. Um, and I guess you could wash your cash in the... <laughs> I, I, isn't there a movie about a, a guy who's that paranoid that he does just that? I, I think it, the, yeah. I'm sure that there yeah. is. Well, I mean, I. It's interesting because cash. See, the same people who want to get rid of cash, 
you know, they want to have cryptocurrencies, right? Because yeah. the whole idea is they want some privacy. That's gone real well. Right. And and exactly. <laughs> and and you know, now the government is is potentially gonna float some kind of cryptocurrency equivalent, but have it be backed by the government. Yeah. You know. Um it, you know, it the the further you get from cash, one of the problems I have with getting rid of cash is that the further you get it to a, a, a representation of cash is that it makes people that even that much more irresponsible in the way that they spend money. Maybe, but you know, it, my biggest concern, too, I, well, I have several concerns. One is that uh, it creates, every transaction you conduct, if it's not with cash, is, 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 is available for, for inspection by some entity, whether the corporation that is controlling that particular format or the government, or both, or it's just it, it it just lays in wait somewhere for a hacker to come in and get that the too, sure, yeah, that right. too. So there's all sorts of reasons why uh, I would be concerned about doing away with cash. Uh, but the, I mean, the biggest one to me is the uh, the devolution into a a massive surveillance state. Well, you know, certainly, everything that's everything is known about you. Everything that's that's correct. and they can use that information to encourage to kind of. Advertise, you know, you don't, you weren't on Facebook much, but you know, if you if you do something on Facebook uh, that involves a product, surprise, surprise, you start getting advertisements about that, you know. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's amazing how quickly the algorithms work because, sure. yeah, I mean, you look at something and the next thing you know, you go, you know, do a Google search, um, and you put the first letter in, and it already knows what you're asking. You know, it is it is absolutely scary. And you're right. It's another way of centralizing all this information. And uh, I, I do have concerns, though, again, with this whole notion that the further you get from handling money, people will – that's why we're at a record level of credit. Debt. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Credit card debt. You know, and I, I haven't heard that argument made, but that makes sense to me. It is easier to pull out a piece of plastic and – Run up a big bill on it. Correct, because it, it doesn't. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, it is so. It doesn't have any real relation. I mean, a check sort of has a relationship to cash because you do write a dollar amount on it. Yeah, you sure. Know. Um, but there are dangers, of course, with checks in terms of people take them out of the, they take them out of the mail and they they wash them, and wash them? you can wash. Yeah, unless what do you, you mean use, wash them, you can wash off the ink on checks. Dove or, or I'm not sure what it is they use. And then, you know, you they have a signed check. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never heard of this one. Yeah. Yeah. This is it's a, it's pretty common fraud now. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. So but I, I, I agree with you. I think that it, it it's a more sensible alternative for some privacy. The other question becomes, you know, what about these, you know, states where they have legal dispensaries, right? And of? because of Marijuana, okay. uh, of cannabis. I thought you were going to say of cash. No, and well, th- those are called banks. Um, <laughs> or, a- or a- ATM machines. Yeah, or ATM yeah, yeah, machines, yeah. I guess that's true. <laughs> um, you know, and, and because of the status of marijuana under federal law, the credit card companies will not do business with most dispensaries because huh. it, it's still a transaction of an illegal item federally. In some places. Right, and of course... The downside of cash, though, is it does it is a security risk. In fact, early on when Colorado started out with you know their dispensaries, there were a number of murders. You know, which basically people came in, you know, took the owners of these places. They knew they were going to have cash on hand because they, mm-hmm. they, you know, the only thing they could do was take it to a bank. And, you know, but it was it was a holy cash business, and so um, it's dangerous to have cash in a store. And that's the reason why well, a lot of the big cities that have come up and it's said they da- don't want you to have cash in the yeah. stores it's da- for that reason. It's dangerous to leave cash in the store overnight. I mean, that's that, I, mean I, I know it does happen where somebody will break into a store, hold you at gunpoint, take the cash. But again, that's, you know, I, I, have, I have a friend who has a restaurant. Mm-hmm. He spends $1,000 a month on credit card transaction fees. Right. It's yeah. Um, depending on what <laughs> card it is, it's like one to five percent. Yeah, that and, and so you know the uh, you know cash is something issued by the public government, our, our government. It's a public commodity. Credit cards, debit cards, those are issued by private companies. Private companies are managing that, controlling it. And I know there's a, there's a regulatory framework that tries to limit what they can, for example, charge mm. for interest and whatnot. But you know. You, you, you turn the entire system over to that, that, you know, that division, 
And there's bound to be corruption. There's bound to be incredible amount of profits accruing to the companies that, that, that manage that. That's true, but that's already happening in so many other realms. Anybody who's on the Internet is handing that information over because when, you know, your, your ISP doesn't protect your information um, because they sell it for a profit. Sure. You know, because as they say and on the on, Internet, if the product's free, you're the product. Yeah, yeah. And there, there, there ought to be laws against that. You know, there ought to be regulation, regulations for that. Um, yeah, I'm fascinating that uh, there are some people who have absolutely no trouble with the cashless economy. And apparently, mm-hmm. again, more and more people are, are going cashless. Right. Um, to me, the... Well, um, I have to say, I don't spend a lot of physical cash in, in a week. See, that's all I do. I, 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 never, I almost never write a check. Mm-hmm. I rarely. I, well, I, hardly ever I don't, I don't, I don't even have a credit card, Charles. Really? Do you think less of me? No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that's. I, I think that's very disciplined. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do have a debit card from, on my checking account mm-hmm. in my credit union, but right. I don't use that that much either. I mostly use cash. And, and just for the record, anybody who's listening who thinks, "Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to mug that guy," I have very little on me at any time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so to me. Uh, the, What's happening in Sweden is like the 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 the, the pinnacle of, de- of devolution into a cashless society. Mm. There are thousands of people who have allowed themselves willingly, volunteered apparently, to have microchips put in their hands, so when they walk into a train station, they can just flash their hand and boom, they're in. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Swedes were smarter than that. You know, well, and, and you know, there's there's these RFID chips that are on your credit cards and everything, sure. and and you know, obviously, also the RFID chips that allow you to start your car and all this. I mean, you're very easy to track. Your passport's got an RFID chip mm-hmm. in it, you know. So, and, and that's why I, I I'm not as concerned because if cash were to disappear because there's so many bro- breaches of your privacy anyway. You think we're and actually, most of them are voluntary. Look at somebody's social media. People are concerned about privacy, right? You know, <laughs> and look what they put on their social media. Yeah. And then they're shocked yeah. well, they don't, when they don't have privacy. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't think about it. They think, oh, this is a cute picture of my dog uh, and then some uh, compromising compromising sidebar there that they don't consider. Right, you know? yeah, the, the and, person in the bed in the back who's... <laughs> <laughs> who's... Wait, not supposed to be there. Is this a real? Is this a real Facebook post? <laughs> no, you're just making this up. Okay, all right, good. No, yeah, but I mean, I there's a there's a report called Access to Cash, and even though it's out of Britain, it's a good one. Yeah, um, uh, it says who's at risk of cash of a is it, But it's all it's all converted into pounds. Well, I, I think. What are you talking about? Pounds? The, do they use the euros? pound? Do they use the pound in in Ireland? No, they're smarter than that. They use the euro. They use the euro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so who is at risk from a cashless uh, uh, economy? Well, the four people that they identify, those who live in a country where poor internet connectivity might stop payments, right. or in a poor region of a you know, rapidly becoming third world country like the U.S. I mean, there are plenty of places in the U.S. where... You know, Thank you, Donald Trump. Is this your is, is, is this your American carnage speech? <laughs> no. <laughs> but we're going to talk about. I, I'm I'm going to be fascinated by Donald Trump's speech at the to, to 500 United Auto Workers. Oh God, yeah. We'll talk about that next book. But the, the other three categories of people that are of, of concern: uh, poor people who rely on cash to ensure that they budget properly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an exaggeration because most poor people I know, present company included, don't even bother to budget. You just you just get by. You just do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, third, anyone in an abusive relationship who may lose financial independence without access to cash. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And four, people with physical or mental health problems who find using digital services difficult. Well, and that's not just physical and mental health problems. That's what happens among the elderly population. Sure. They're, they're, I'm surprised how conversant elderly people have become with digital services. But there's plenty of them who are still VCRs flash and 12. You know, um, that's about Can, as far as they got. Do you want to do you want to elaborate on that reference? <laughs> well, if you remember the VCRs, <laughs> they were the people who couldn't even program the time on them, and so they always flashed twelve. You know, twelve zero zero. So <laughs> I might be one of those people. <laughs> that's what that was about. That, okay, thank you. Right. thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Hey, so have you heard of cloud money? No, no. It's a book. It's a book. Okay. It was written last year by a guy named Brett Scott. 
And he argues that a cashless society would be the death knell for small businesses. Uh, it would also eliminate any remaining privacy we still have, and it would create a full-fledged surveillance state. Hmm. Maybe he's exaggerating, but I think he makes some really good points. Um, now, interestingly, a lot of the pushback against going cashless is coming in this country from city, uh, a Democratic S-hole countries, as Donald Trump calls them, right. uh, or cities like New York, San Francisco. Cities like that are requiring businesses to use cash or to accept cash. Right. The other one is Giorgia Maloney. That's not an Irish name. She's the, uh, <laughs> the Italian uh, president, prime minister. Prime minister. Yeah. And she's with the, I love the name of this party, Brothers of Italy. <laughs> or more accurately, Brothers of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> She's with the Brothers of Italy party. Yeah. Anyway, so she is um, very much uh, against going cashless. And again, 57% of Italians support her. Mm -hmm. What percent support Biden? I don't know. So she's, 30, well, his yeah. approval is like in the <laughs> so, high 30s. I, I mean, I think it's very fascinating to me that they have these different political perspectives that agree on this issue. And yeah, I, I, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, again, I think if people are looking for privacy in their financial transactions, then I'd rather use traditional cash versus, you know, digital currencies. And to me, the only improvement on cash is barter. Charles, how many eggs can I offer you in exchange for medical uh, opinion? <laughs> well, you could have offered me a lot less oh. a year ago oh. when the price was high. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hey, i got to take a break here. Uh, when we come back from a short break, uh, break uh, Charles Goldman and myself, Ed Fallon, we're going to be talking about uh, Republicans and how they hope to capitalize on specifically the, the UAW labor dispute. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to the Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. Uh, CPM focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, Charles, so uh, labor. Traditionally, a stronghold of the Democratic Party. In fact, 94% uh, of labor's donations to political campaigns went to Democrats. 94%. Well, of organized labor. Organized labor, right. yeah. In, in, the year, in, the year, in the 2000 election, 94%. Right. And yet, nearly half of the labor union membership votes Republican. So this is a fascinating problem for labor, for the Democrats. And now we have uh, Republicans trying to jump on the potential to take advantage of this. Uh, well, some Republicans. I mean, you've... Well, Trump, you, yeah. You, well, Trump is going to, you know, instead of going to the debate, is going to go talk to the... Uh, yeah. Some... A, a selection. 500. A UAW selection members, of UAW yeah. members. You know, and honestly, Charles... Not attended by any of the higher-ups of the UAW. Right. Uh, but, again... I'm sure they've been screened to make sure they voted for him. Because <laughs> Trump never shows up at any event where there might be... Somebody who disagrees with him. Well, and you know, it, it, it's, it's, I will say this. I don't know whether he thought of it or one of his handlers. Mm -hmm. It's a brilliant strategy. It is. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. true. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because because the two South Carolinians in the uh, Republican primary Haley immediately, yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah Haley, yeah. you know, bragged that she's a union buster, yeah, and Scott invoked, you know, Saint Ronnie, uh, <laughs> Ronald Reagan, that's right, for his handling of the FAA uh, traffic. Air traffic controllers strike. Right, he thought that was great. Right, he yeah. says you strike, you get fired. That was yep. Tim Scott. Yep, yep. The compassionate conservative. In and two, both of them, of course, <laughs> in one of the most anti-organized labor states in the country, South Carolina. Right. Um, I think South Carolina has the lowest union membership of any state. I believe it does. Yeah, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of right-to-work states. And another. Well, I, I, and Iowa now is a right-to-work state. Correct. But yeah, it's fascinating to me because you see, you see what happened in Iowa with labor law. You uh, mean more prominently nationally what happened in Wisconsin and Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, a, a big chunk of um, labor votes Republican. And uh, I think I understand why. <laughs> I don't think the, the Democratic Party uh, handlers t- seem not to understand why. Mm-hmm. But the, um, you know, and, and here you got Trump. By the way, I mean, Trump, who came out very strongly about repealing NAFTA, about not doing any more of these trade treaties that ship our jobs overseas. That was that made that was a very sensible strategy for him to distinguish himself from Clinton because you know the Clintons have been very much behind the you know the uh, trade treaty uh, strategy, um, but now we have Trump coming out uh, you know uh, hoping to gain the support of uh, union members in Michigan and probably by Im- implicitly in Ohio and Wisconsin. Right. I think it's a I think it's a brilliant strategy. I think it's disingenuous. It's all heck. It is disingenuous because there was much about the Trump program that was not uh, worker-friendly or union-friendly. I mean, and people also have to remember that a big part of the anti-union program is carried out through the courts. Sure. uh, In particular, the Supreme Court of the United States, which is a direct result of the addition of the Trump judges, yeah. you know, so you've got, you know, some, a number of very anti-union, anti-worker decisions that, you know, came up under the yeah. Trump administration. I mean, people don't see that connection. They, they, they voted for Trump because he was, quote, outsider. Uh, and then he goes ahead and appoints these Supreme Court justices who, you know, you know make it diff- more, more difficult to make a decent living as a worker. Right. You know, and... and um, both that, I mean, the, the, the case that was decided early on in the administration about the uh, truck driver almost froze to death in his truck up in Chicago as to whether, you know, he had, the, the employer had violated uh, his responsibility to him, telling him to stay in this truck as the engine failed and the heat went off. Um, you know, and then you've got the decisions, there's a couple decisions in 2018, one of them where in a 5-4 decision, because this is before the new members, all the new members were on the court, companies were able to legally obligate their employees to sign class action waivers. In other words, that they would have, if they had a, a grievance, they would only be able to go to individual arbitration, as opposed they, to engaging in a class action suit against meaning, the employer. Meaning, meaning instead of working as a union. Instead of working in any collective way. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, everyone is, is to some degree forced into those. Like if you have a cell phone, you'll notice that you don't have a right actually to sue the company. It, it always has to go to arbitration. Arbitration mm-hmm. always favors the company. Right. Um, and particularly if it's individual arbitration, because it becomes very onerous, obviously, if every person has to go individually. Then, you know, there was the Janus versus um, the American Federation of State, City and Municipal Employees, in which the unions were collecting dues even from non-union members because they were negotiating the benefits and the... Yeah, that's that, and that makes sense to me. If you're benefiting from Correct. someone's negotiation on your behalf, even if you're not a member of that entity... You owe some responsibility to it. Well, and that overturned a decision from a 1977 case. And if you remember, in 1977, that court was not the Warren Court. Right. That was the Burger Court. And so that was a conservative court. Mm-hmm. But even they, at the time, uh, felt that it's just the opposite. You know, and, and of course, in, in the way this Supreme Court works, you know, the issue was that there was someone who opposed the fact that these workers in Illinois were trying to get more money at a time when the state was bankrupt. 
So, so let, me, let me let me ask you. We have again mm-hmm. this week Wednesday, and some of you might be listening to this program after the Wednesday Republican uh, debate and also the uh, the Trump speech in in, in Detroit. But uh, there's an interesting you know dichotomy within the Republican presidential candidates right now. Some of them, you know, brandishing proudly their anti-union credentials, mm-hmm. and Trump. Uh, Making it this this heartfelt appeal to uh, the UAW workers, uh, and uh, I you know I, I don't how do you see that well, playing I, I, out? I have no idea. I don't know what Trump's going to say. Yeah, we're we're taping this before the uh, right well, exactly. I I, mean, I, I I think clearly he's he's been he's going to hit some of the hot button issues that uh, that that you know some worker workers will uh, will will resonate with. Certainly when it comes to guns, you know, I mean when I in my in my in my work with. Uh, Labor unions over the years as a legislator, and I, I visited the picket line about 30 times when the Firestone workers were on strike. That was, you know, tangential to their right to organize, their right to a decent wage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was concerns about, you know, well, some some of them were anti anti choice. Um, most of them believed they had a right to own a firearm or two, and didn't didn't like any efforts to restrict that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Trump uh, weigh in on that during his UAW speech, but he's also going to reiterate his his opposition to NAFTA and other trade deals that have sent American jobs overseas. And honestly, Charles, I don't, which, I, by the way, none of the none of those jobs. Remember after his his famous thing with the Carrier Corporation, you know that they weren't going to move the factory in Indiana down to Mexico. Uh, during the four years of the Trump administration, there was just as many, if not more, jobs offshored. You know, he didn't bring the corporations yeah. back. Well, that that needs to be talked about, <laughs> right? But, but you know, he doesn't I, he doesn't have to sway that many voters in Michigan, well, or Wisconsin, exactly or Ohio right. to win those states. That's exactly right. And and I suspect because I, I listened to Fox Business a little bit last I'm week. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you need a hug? <laughs> and I I think where it's going to go is the electric car issue. See, because. You think he's going to come out pro electric car? No, no, oh, no, no, absolutely anti. not. Anti? Oh, okay, absolutely not. Got yeah, I, I mean, because, but these workers will be building electric cars as well. But the workers are concerned that because building an electric car is not as labor intensive, that uh. they are going to suffer, and that the they the unions are concerned that they're going to get end run by the by the car makers when they do this you know, subsidized conversion over to electric cars. Because it is going to be a subsidized conversion because that's where the money's coming from in the sure. IRA. And so there's going to be there's going to be less of a need for these workers. And so they are, as often happens, you know, for instance, there's, there's, there's a dispute up in Maine where they want to take the two private utilities public. And the unions are very leery of that sure. because... That, that's happened here in Iowa too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the unions do have an incentive to try to maintain jobs, mm-hmm. you know, and the changes that are coming. But, you know, we're seeing we're seeing this all over. The strike in Hollywood, right? The, the, the you know, the actors. The writers' strike. The actors yeah. and the writers. Yeah. Both of them have issues with what's going to happen with AI. You know, so work is changing. Mm-hmm. Well, and it always have. It, yes, but... We the, used to have trolley cars. I understand that. But the problem is, is that most people's answer to work is changing is to try to keep everything as it is mm-hmm. because that's what they know, you know, and so... And, so, and sometimes they're right. I mean, you know, automating everything is, is, is um, it's not, you know, maybe, maybe it's good for, quote, the economy, but it may be bad for humanity. Uh, people need meaningful work, meaningful work that is dignified, that pays well, that, that allows them to have... Uh, you know, a, a decent life for their That's family. That's correct, but you don't yeah. want to turn this into the Soviet economy where you're simply making things just to keep people working no. when those things are obsolete, you know. And so the, this, this is, there's a bigger question here, which is how do you accommodate? And, in, in, you know, we've said this before. First of all, the manufacturing segment of the United States economy is less than 10% of the economy. We're not a manufacturing economy anymore. Well, it's because we've, basically again, because economy. we've shipped a lot of jobs overseas. Well, that's part of it. It's also just the, 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 the way things have evolved, you know, is towards services. And so, you know, the question becomes, 
how do you make these changes? And if people who have jobs in which they're not just using a, you know, a manual labor, physical labor element, where they're, you know, mostly doing cognitive work, they're just as risky as anybody else. And, and that's what people are not getting, you know. And I'm not saying that you want, you know, that the only way this is going to get resolved is obviously you have two equals, you know, a fairly, con- you know, concentration of workers who can, you know, make corporations pay for not making some accommodation. And, Which is what a strike is all about. Right. And let's, yeah. let's be honest, okay. The workers have been screwed in this country since the 1970s. At that point, productivity, well, but yeah, yeah, even before that, but from the Reagan era onward, productivity skyrocketed along with it corporate profits. And basically workers' compensation stagnated. Well, it, it increased, but not... No, not, it not stagnated. It, 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 in and, terms of, of inflation, inflated sure, dollars, yeah, yeah. it yeah. was totally stagnant. Sure. I got paid to do a, a job driving a low lift around a dry goods warehouse in the mid-1970s. I got paid $15 an hour. The minimum wage, and it's, nine, it's 2023, isn't $15 an hour. Well, the minimum wage back then was, what, three-something? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I mean, but I, I, literally, I was getting paid $15. So the point is that I don't want to hear, and we'll talk about it, the same thing with the pharmaceutical companies in the next segment. You know, all the whining about the corporations and they're going to bankrupt. This is, this is the thing on Fox News, that if they make a, a deal that's favorable to the workers, that the corporation's going to get bankrupted. That's nonsense. It's kind of the flip side of trickle-down economics. You know, you have to give to these big companies so they'll, through their... Concern about the world and their workers, they'll they'll make sure that there's enough. But they don't. Jobs. That's but, the whole point. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the I whole know, point. I know. I know it is. It's, right. It's, it's, because it's, they it's have no reason to. Yeah. Because they can move jobs to a right to work state, which is a right to be paid an obscenely low wage. Um, and not to be represented. Or they can by move it right. Or they can move it offshore, and um, you know that because they have decided, corporations have decided that this amount of profit is justifiable. So let's assume that, uh, and again, I, 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 wish, um, I wish we were taping this on Thursday so we'd have the benefit of hearing what Donald Trump said in Detroit. But again, you may be right. Well, I'm sure part of it would be that the, the 2020 election was stolen from him. Well, <laughs> that's, that's the standard part of it. That's his thumb speech right there. Right. But uh, he'll also, I think he'll reiterate his, his opposition to, to NAFTA. Uh, he'll tell the union workers there how much he loves them. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. You're probably right about the electric car situation. He'll, he'll make that a divisive uh, you well, know, they already a, a wedge. Are. They already are. Yeah. And, and, and I think and that's going to be a big he'll, part he'll of what he's He'll exacerbate the wedge. Well, I told you, when he talked to, to Tucker Carlson, he said that people only like electric cars for the first 10 minutes, and then they start worrying about how they're going to charge it up again. Yeah. You know, that's his knowledge of the electric of yeah. EVs. Right. And, and I mean, you know, that reminds me of his arguments against... Uh, Low flow, sh- low flow toilets and showers. Yeah, well, that was another one they made with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah, That's right. yeah, I don't think he'll bring that up with the auto workers, but you probably know, not. <laughs> if it was a different strike, but maybe he would. I, I will be amazed if he doesn't bring up guns. Just, um, we'll see. I don't know. I think he's really going to concentrate on on how the Republicans really are the party of the workers. Yeah, you know, and that they're going to protect them from, you know, the the EV, yeah. which is being forced by the. Well, left is communist, and, and, fascist, and, and unfortunately, you know, you know, who are in the government. Democrats have not done a very good job at uh, following through on their campaign promises to stand up for workers. I mean, I was a great example when you know when I ran for governor in two thousand six. Uh, there were four candidates running, and the guy that won, um, he got the endorsement of Culver. We got the endorsement of the UAW, but a lot of unions went with uh, Mike Bluen, mm-hmm. and uh, Culver, who. Um, knows how to be vindictive. Um, vetoed the only pro-labor bill that the legislature, and again, again, the legislature was controlled by Democrats, and there were four key priorities that, re, that that labor wanted. The Democrats were only able to pass one because some of the, some of their own members were against these uh, these very reasonable and you know moderate changes. And the only one passed got vetoed by the governor. So, you know, yeah, I, I kind of understand why, mm-hmm. Demo- why, why why labor union members say, you know, Democrats really haven't done that much for us. Well, again, a lot of these same corporations are funding the Democrats. And, sure. you know, they... But what, the, but what they need to remember is how 
how much damage has been done by Republican governors like Scott in Wisconsin, like Reynolds here in Iowa. And um, Well, <laughs> I, but I think, again, I, I think you have to go back to the courts. The courts actually have done the most damage. Sure, good point. Yeah. But who appoints the courts? Well, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. The guy that a lot of UAW members are probably going probably gonna to vote for. <laughs> yep. Unless somebody can explain it better than has, has been explained. Hey, uh, Ed Fallon with you here. Charles Goldman as well. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about big pharma and a little, little bit of a pat on the back to Joe Biden for uh, some action taken on that front. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Charles. So uh, you're you know a lot about drugs. Well, you're a doctor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying you use them. I'm saying you, you prescribe them. Or, That's correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so you've been probably following the uh, recent action taken by the Biden administration uh, and and well approved by the, approved by the uh, U.S. Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right, because it was part of the Inflation IRA, Reduction Act. Yeah. 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 So there are ten drugs now that are uh, that are able to be. There's negoti- negotiations are allowed. Um, at uh, how to reduce prices. And, and some of the uh, price differentials, when you look at some of these drugs, what they cost in the U.S. to what they cost in a civilized country, it's insane. It is yeah. absolutely insane. I mean, the markups can be upwards of... Like 500%, you know, right? Yeah. Or 1,000. 1,000 percent. percent. Which right. is insane, you know? Right. <laughs> how, how is that allowed? How, how, do, how do they even get away with that? Well, I mean, the pricing of... of, of of pharmaceuticals in the United States is highly complex, and um, and I think the the thing to remember is that um, number one, the uh, pharmaceutical companies claim, as they as all, every time this happens, that if if they don't make this much money, it's going to reduce innovation. Which, which the taxpayers subsidize. Right. And the reality is, yeah. is the vast majority of the innovation is done by researchers at the National Institute of Health who use taxpayer money to, you know, uh, do the basic science research yeah, which the, and also help subsidize the, you know, trials that are run. Which although, the drug companies eventually capitalize on. Correct. And the drug companies actually... When they they do pay some royalties back to these labs, but they're supposed to, when the government has made a uh, the taxpayers made a huge contribution to the development of a drug, they're supposed to pay hold the price at a reasonable level by contract. 
So why are they not doing that? Because nobody ever holds them to that. Why, and, you, well, know, and you, you would think there'd be a lot of interest in holding it to You that. would think so, but yeah. it wasn't. Because let's face it, I mean, the, the pharmaceutical companies are if not the biggest lobby on, on They're one of them. In, in D.C. They're certainly in the top five. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think the hospital industry is number one. Maybe the farm school is two. Well, they're connected. Well, uh, well, although interestingly, the interests of the hospital and the interests of the pharmaceutical companies are at, at almost 180 degrees opposed. Because one, so? Well, because one of the biggest expenses for hospitals is the price they pay for, for pharmaceuticals. Uh, and hospitals don't pay for them. The patients pay for them. Uh, no, the hospitals have to pay for them. Okay, but they pass the cost on. To the uh, they can only pass on so much of the cost. When Why you're is looking, that? Well, because when you're looking at drugs that are priced at this level, when you go into a hospital, the majority of patients are not. They're not fee for service anymore. They're not like the hospital's getting paid a line item bill. They send you a line item it's, bill. It's Medicare, it's, Medicaid, it's, insurance. It's, yeah. it's they're paid by diagnosis group. So, to what do you mean by paid by diagnosis group? There's there's a payment based on. The diagnosis for which you go in the hospital, um, it's modified to some degree by the likelihood of having complications based on your underlying illnesses before you go in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that they're paid basically a flat rate from which they have to pay for the pharmaceuticals used. So the hospital industry is not a big fan of the pharmaceutical industry. Okay, so how is the hospital industry not able to uh, throw on throw around a little more weight and have some impact on the cost of drugs? You, they, well, because... The pharmaceutical industry is also very powerful, you know, and more powerful. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> apparently they are. Yeah. So, and where do the doctors fit in, doctor? The doctors get nothing from the pharmaceutical companies. But well, now don't doctors get certain perks and benefits if they? Uh, no, since they it, since there's a Sunshine Act that has to be reported, doctors don't get much of anything. So it that's not why drugs are being prescribed. Okay, sorry. There's a lot of detail. No, no, the pharmaceutical companies spend a lot of money detailing to physicians, bringing the information to them to make them think about using these drugs. Okay. You know, but the... And, the, and the, how, how is that delivered? Is it a conference, an email? Uh, um, various things. A, People come to the office. All expense page package. That, uh, used, to be, that used to be how it was. Okay. Yes, okay. It used to be that way, but it's not, it's not anymore. Um. And why not? Did the did, did Congress uh, actually have a backbone and say you can't do that? That's correct. I mean, this is all this is all now openly reported. A, a Republican it's led initiative. Reported. I, I don't know that it was a Republican led initiative or not. I I'm guessing it wasn't. Bipartisan. Actually, I was being this sarcastic. Is bipartisan, okay. to some degree. But okay. the point is, is that the pharmaceutical companies are saying that innovation is going to stop. Right. And and it's the same thing that the device manufacturers said when there was going to be a tax as part of the ACA on the devices. Right, when they were sold. And they the said, well, innovation's going to stop. The Affordable Care Act. Right. Yeah. So the pricing of pharmaceuticals is, is partly the pharmaceutical companies, but there's so many layers. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what happens involves something, you know, that's, that's called the pharmacy benefit managers. And nobody knows what they're doing, Right. Um, you know, like Express Scripts, CVS. And why does nobody know what they're doing? Because no one knows what kind of rebates are they getting, who, where's the money going, why are that's these not, drugs that, being That's pushed? not required why? information? No. Given the huge no. investment? It's, it's, considered, it's considered corporate, yeah. you know, so, private information. So, well, again, there are places in the world where you can pay Right, because the drugs don't cost this much money if you right. can pay a tenth so, so what, the price what are these other, in the UK. What, are, what is the UK and other, and other countries where you don't pay this kind of, these kind of prices? What are they doing right that, that regulate the industry? Um, we aren't doing here. They don't have all these these interposed entities. These these PB, you know the PBMs. What's a PBM? Well, the pharmacy benefit managers. Okay. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, and they have re they also have, you know, acquisition rules that say we're just not going to pay it. Okay, but I presume because like I, in the UK you have a commission which basically says, yeah, this drug may work, but it it, it it's economically unfeasible per patient to pay this much money. But I presume there was a, a pharmaceutical lobby in other countries where they have put comparable pressure on their elected officials, lavished them with donations. Um, yes, you know, but since in many of these countries, the government itself is the main payer for uh, because the health because system, then they have a real incentive not to be paying these outrageous prices. So this is another good argument in favor of a single-payer healthcare system. 
It would certainly, it would certainly array a much more powerful entity against the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. yes. Plus, essentially what's happening is the pharmaceutical companies are using the American market to subsidize offering these drugs for cheaper prices elsewhere. Okay, so Joe Biden passes what? Joe Biden signs a bill right. that Congress passes. So what that happened was, requires, that's correct. And, and then, now, now it's gone to court. The drug companies the are drug suing. The drug companies are suing, saying that it's a restraint of trade and it's unconstitutional and that it's price fixing. And, um, it, it, and that's not really what's going on. What's going on is the 10 drugs were picked because these were the 10 drugs um, that Medicare was expending huge amounts of money on. These are like the top 10, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why they picked these drugs. You know, and insulin, a, a bunch of cardiac drugs, a couple, yeah. you know, for hypertension. Um, and so those were chosen. And basically the process is that, you know, between now and 2026, when these prices <clears throat> are supposed to go into effect, the government is going to negotiate. They're not price fixing. They're not saying this is going to be the price. They're going to negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies. Okay. So when is the court case likely to be heard? I, I would assume well before 2026. Sure. Yeah. Probably probably next. Not, it's not on the calendar for next. Because the lower court cases haven't you know, come yet. Oh, is it, is it go, is, it's gone to a, it's going it, to a lower go, court they, first, a district court? Yeah, it's not, it's not the... Or are they multiple places? There'll be multiple places. I mean, Because there, there are 10 different... Uh, well, the, the companies have headquarters and, and, and facilities in different states, you know. And what, what, is, what is the legal bill in this going to be? I'm sure it'll be astronomical. <laughs> You know, but it's not, since it doesn't involve religion, it doesn't go right to the SCOTUS. <laughs> you know, if it involves religion or race, it goes right to SCOTUS. But this will, well, will I mean, make its way through the lower courts. I, I, would, I would, you know, where, where's the general public on this? I mean, I, what, 80, 90 percent are, are on the same side that we are? They, they'd like to see lower prices? I don't I mean, think there's percentage? anybody in the United States other than the pharmaceutical executives who would like to see lower prices. Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like this would be a winner. But, well, and again, what about doctors? Doctors don't have a horse in this race. Well, doctors would certainly like the prices to be lower because a lot of people don't fill scripts or they don't no. take the medication on the schedule they're supposed to because they mm. can't afford it. Right, right. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see physicians in any way because none of us believe that innovation is going to change. Right. In fact, what they're going to do, and this is, this, again, you try to fix one problem, you create another one. Mm. Um, so what the pharmaceutical companies have been saying is that well, most of what the, the drugs that are being looked at are all small molecule drugs. They're oral small molecule small drugs. molecule drugs are drugs you can take in an oral form, hmm. and, it, and it gets in your bloodstream. So a lot of the drugs you see advertised on TV are not small molecule drugs. They're large. They're they're what, biologics. What, what does that mean? Large molecule drugs. They have to be infused. Suppositories. No, no. no. Right. They, have, they have to be infused intravenously. Oh, okay. So a lot of these things you're seeing, like for psoriasis, for cancer. These are, are, you know, very large proteins that have to be infused. And they are super expensive. Okay. Right? And, and legitimately, they are more expensive oh, to produce. Well, they so. are more expensive, but not sure. as expensive, again, because sure. even those drugs are marked up to yeah, a great yeah. degree in the United yeah. States. But, you know, what the industry is, is already talking about is that maybe they're not going to bother doing much in the way of small molecule drugs because it's, they're going to be price fixed. Is what the, the term they're using. So, in other words, to heck with the uh, well-being of the American public, we we can't make as much money on this, so we're going to stick with a different uh, different approach. Well, there's there's yeah, there's all sorts of things. First of all, you know the the pharmaceutical companies use the patents to um, keep competition out of the market. So they'll make they'll create a drug and then they'll make like two or three minor changes in its chemical formulation and get another patent on mm-hmm. it, which extends it. Also, biologics have a, a four-year longer patent life mm-hmm. than the small molecule drugs. So they, this, this is how they've continued to be able to keep these drugs non-generic. Mm. Clearly, the you know, competition with generics and biosimilars would also bring the prices down in the way the Republicans love by the, the market. market. Right. You know, but... Um, that hasn't worked in the United States. So hey, just a, just a, a story from the past. So what, sure. was, what was it? Twenty years ago, um, uh, Bernie Sanders. I think he was in Congress then, not the U.S. Senate. Yeah. And he um, he was outraged over the cost of U.S. drugs. This is twenty years ago, and it's only gotten worse. So he uh, organized um, a group of uh, Vermont senior citizens who um, who uh, took uh, hopped on a bus and went to Canada to buy uh, their drugs there. Um, it, it's kind of a, 
It reminds me of um, only only because of the idea of a, of a bus traveling to a different place of a, a Governor Abbott in Texas sending up migrants to New York, you know. But here he is, here's here's uh, Sandra's going to Vermont, uh, going to Canada. Right, with the average age on the bus probably being like eighty five. Yeah, he was he was probably yeah he was probably a young guy back then. That's right. Yeah, but I mean that was that became. Um, that that was a really good effort, and and you know, um, right. But the well, the, the and, pharmaceutical lobby was able to stop legislation in the United States right. that would have allowed pharmacies to buy yeah, their drugs. Right, and, and who signed who signed the bill that yeah, Sanders Bill Clinton, worked? yeah, President Bill Clinton, right. Even though a bipartisan Congress, you know, thanks in part to Sanders' efforts to publicize the disparity in drug costs in the U.S. versus Canada, mm-hmm. it was Bill Clinton who vetoed a bipartisan bill. To address it, so right. Thanks, Democrats. <laughs> right. I mean, that's this is this is you know this is why we have an oligarchy because it and, and this is why people yeah. are so disenchanted and, dis- yeah. and feel disenfranchised. Hey, uh, thanks, Charles, for joining us. Always good to have you on the program. That's well, good being here. Yeah, we'll uh, be back. I have you on next month, and next month is coming right up. Uh, before we uh, yeah we before we're going to run to a short break here, folks. Uh, we're going to be. Um, Talking about tobacco in the next segment. Uh, oh, is that is this a new thing on the Bones no, and Bees no, Farm? Well, no. How tobacco companies bought food companies and use the same tactics that they used to, you know, to hook people on cigarettes to hook them on food. I call it big puff in the junk, junk food industry. Kathy Burns is going to join me. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, again, thanks to all of our sponsors, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thank and you. Uh, we're talking about where tobacco and bad food come together. They do. I'm, I'm going to make... Uh... Uh, an admission here now about bad food. Actually, it wasn't bad food, but last night I did go out and get a burger, and alongside of it were quite a few French fries. <laughs> maybe a little more salt than I needed, maybe a little more fat than I needed, but they were very tasty. Dip them in that ketchup with all that salt and sugar. Mm-mm-mm. Well, yes, uh, and and we know that uh, we know that uh, salt, sugar, and fat are appealing to the human palate, and. Uh, Big Tobacco, we know that after things got rough for them back in the early days, they went, they went out and bought up a few big corporations, that Kraft, I can't remember what else. Well, uh, yeah, R.J. Reynolds and Philip Morris bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the mid to late 80s. They bought General Foods as well. Yes, they did. And Nabisco. And they, they kind of crunched those two wow. to General Foods and Kraft. I mean, that, that's, that's even worse than chemical companies buying up um, seed companies. Well, uh, we we learned about this uh, a new study that came out about what happened when they did that from uh, the co-producer for the show here, uh, Sherry Herdita. She sent us the study, and uh, we've been looking at it. 
really, uh, tobacco companies are very familiar to me because I worked with the American Cancer Society for so long, and I am very aware of how insidious their advertising, their marketing campaigns were, marketing to children, marketing to minorities, and guess what they did when they bought up these food companies? They created a bunch of high-fat, high-salt, high-sugar foods, and they marketed those primarily to families with kids, to minorities, yeah. etc. Yeah, and uh, and why, what a coincidence we have a huge obesity problem in this country. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I I also wonder if the fact that tobacco use tends to lower your ability to taste foods, you don't have as good a sense of smell or mm. taste, their products that were made with higher of all the stuff that, that people get drawn to like that, that food doesn't necessarily need to taste good or like food if that was more appealing to Is, is that where the term hyper, hyper palatability comes from? Well, the foods are called in this study hyper palatable foods. And I really contest that a little bit because <laughs> to me, the word palatable and its official definition is pleasant to the taste. But for foods that are too much of everything, yeah. It's less palatable to me. Huh. So not only they were, they were trying to appeal to people who were having to quit smoking, but also trying to find a way to continue to make a lot of money exactly. when selling when, when banking on cigarettes became a problem. Well, tobacco use rates started to finally lower in mm-hmm. the 80s through the 90s, and they, they had, I think they stabilized in about the 2010s. Is it still going down? I haven't looked in a while. Mm-hmm. When I was working with ACS, I recall that... There were some very successful anti-smoking campaigns for youth. And then because they were working so well, the state of Iowa and some other states cut the funding for those programs. And then some of the tea and tobacco use started yeah. to go up. One of my own uh, elements of involvement with this, um, <laughs> with this issue is uh, back in 1993, my first year as a state legislator, I thought it was hideous to see how the, uh, tobacco com- the cigarette companies advertised tobacco to kids. Maybe some folks remember Camel Joe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, yes. Um, so I, I proposed a bill that, uh, that attacked advertising tobacco products to kids, mm-hmm. and that included, you know, getting rid of candied cigarettes. Right. It made national news, but just the candy cigarettes part. I played ha, with candy. Ha, idiot lawmaker in Iowa wants to ban candy cigarettes. Ha, ha, ha. I played with candy cigarettes when I was a kid. Right. I didn't become a smoker. Right. But that's because probably I didn't have parents who smoked. <laughs> right. um, it's possible also that, you know, they saw the writing on the wall about the, the tobacco use waning. Um, there, the, the research definitely showed a correlation between the decline in smoking rates and in the early 80s and this, these hyperpalatable foods of the market. So... Yeah, so I, I would think you know there, there was legal legal action against the tobacco companies for basically knowingly selling a product that was um, killing people, and I know we've we've seen similar mm-hmm. uh, discussion of legal action against uh, oil companies for knowingly producing a product that their own scientific research said was going to be damaging the climate. What about legal action against these companies? I mean, again, Kraft, Nabisco, General Foods. Um, now part of the big tobacco network. What about legal action against them for creating products that they know they know are going to damage people's health? Well, the tobacco industries no longer own those companies. They sure. Have, they have since but sold. But still, so, but the, the yeah. companies are doing exactly what big tobacco and big oil have done. Why not legal action against them? I, you get that going. That sounds, <laughs> sounds okay, we'll good. get right on it. That yeah. sounds pretty I, w- I would think that would carry some weight. Well, the the vicious, no pun the vicious cycle is, and you just talked about big pharma with Charles in your previous sure. segment. So you know, all the all the high fats, you know, making people sick, and then and then big pharma comes in to give people drugs to eat food, you know, to to not just go eat foods that are healthy. Yeah. Well, uh, we could talk more about this, Kathy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Folks, we're going to go out with the only song that has the word puff in it that I could find. One of my favorites, in fact, Puff the Magic Dragon. Uh, thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. We will be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.
In a land called Hanalei.